What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. The title of my message today is simply The Faith of the Prophets, Part 2. We are continuing our study in this text. And before we get into it, I want to share a quote with you. Listen to these words very carefully. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That is a quote by Jim Elliott. He said many, many years ago, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, if you've never heard of Jim Elliott, then I'm excited about introducing him to you today. Now, if you have heard of Jim Elliott, I'm excited about reminding you of who he was today. Jim Elliott was a man that God raised up in the mid-1900s to go overseas and to share the gospel with the people of Ecuador. But it wasn't just he was going to Ecuador to reach some of the, the average person there. God stirred him to go to a region and reach the unreached. People who, the, the only other people that have made contact with them have died by the hands of their spears. So the Akua Indians were known as savages. And so the Elliott family, along with a few other families, they go to Ecuador. They go to the remote tribe of the jungles there. And there they finally make contact. They do it by having this little plane. And they would drop a a little bucket with a long rope. And they would make a big circle like this so that the rope would stand still right there and give these Indians gifts. And so eventually they thought it was time for them to make contact with these people. And as they did, they were received by some women and children. But eventually, the men came out as soldiers from the woods. And all five of those men, including Jim Elliott, were speared to death. There was a language barrier. They couldn't speak their language, but they came to, first of all, to evangelize them and to share the gospel with them. But in order to do that, they had to cross the great bridge of language. And then they had to figure out a way to translate God's word into their language. And as a result, all the husbands of that group and that missionary effort died. And we'll pick the story up later in the message. But I share that with you today Because in Hebrews chapter 11, of course we know this is the great hallway of faith. And last week we talked about the great triumphs, the great victories of the prophets of old and these characters in Hebrews chapter 11. And God used them to do many great things. But it is in this section of verse 35 through 38 that that God through his penmen and by his spirit is reminding us that there are sometimes people that God raises up to go through the horrible process of being killed for their faith. Being a martyr is literally defined as somebody who dies for their beliefs. So Jim Elliot, in a sense, was a martyr and those others with him. If I could give you any thought today for you to leave with, it would be this thought. Here is the sermon in a nutshell. Faith that suffers for God in tragedy will be rewarded by God 
with victory. I believe that it is in this passage we, we see that the prophets of old, the saints of old, these, these men that were mightily used of God, and some women, by the way, too, they were used by God, but, but they went through great trials of suffering and tragedy, and through that trial, through those tragedies, through those defeats, through those what appeared to be setbacks, God rewarded them with great victory in the eternal Age. And my friends, today, as we come to this passage, we know that the writer of Hebrews is most likely preaching a sermon that was written down, and he's coming down to the end of his message, and he's running out of time. So he's mentioning these characters by name in verse 32. Then he begins to describe some of the acts that they did that were very triumphant. And now in verse 35 and verse 38, he's describing the acts of these ones of the past that ended in being tortured, that ended in being imprisoned, and that ended in being executed. And today, we need to understand that God doesn't promise us a life always filled with roses. Actually, I think verse 35 through verse 38 is the, one of the major passages in the New Testament that cripples the prosperity gospel. Cripples the idea that that. God is going to save you so that you can become rich. God is going to save you so that you can become healthy and wealthy. Here in this passage, we're going to see that surely God does step in and do miracles, and he can, and we believe that, we affirm that, but it's in this passage that God raises up poor people and allows them to remain poor to share the gospel and point people to the Messiah. It is in this passage that, that God doesn't necessarily, in our perspective, allow somebody to have a very prosperous life because they are confined to a dungeon and a cell. And then we'll see that there were ones that were stretched and beaten and cut in half. So the question I want to ask, in addition to this thought, faith that suffers for God and tragedy will be rewarded by God in victory, is what do the prophets teach us about faith and suffering? Today, I mean, I, I realize that, that the Christian life is about rejoicing. It is. There's major times of rejoicing. But the Christian life, listen, it is also about suffering. And so today, today, I, I want to be the guy, and may I, may I be the guy, to talk you out of this idea that you pray a prayer and that everything's just going to be perfect as a Christian. I want to talk you out of that today because I want to share with you that because that, that just, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have a great life in this life. You might experience trials. You might go to jail for your faith. You might be tortured for your faith. And you might die as a result of being a Christian. Now that sounds very foreign to our American Western mind. But as the world waxes Further away from God, I share with you that it might be a reality for us in future years. Now, that being said, I want to walk us through this passage today. I want to share three thoughts with you about faith and suffering from these prophets. Notice in verse 35, here's the first thought I want to share with you. Those who have faith in God may be tortured for their faith. Those who have faith in God may be tortured for their faith. 
It is in this particular verse that, that if, you, if you are a student of the Bible, you'll realize the first part of the verse where it speaks about women receive their dead ones raised to life again, that that seems to be a, a, an act, a triumph. It is. But I think that the translators in, in our English Bible placed it strategically for verse 35 because it, it, you have to understand this power of the resurrection within the thought of being tortured for your beliefs. Now, I, I don't know, maybe the chances are, you know, you've never experienced torture. Now, you might have been picked on on the playground as a kid. You might have been bullied, sure. That's a level of torture. But, but not the level of torture that is demonstrated here in this verse. But, but in verse 35, the first part here, it reminds us that, that if and when we are tortured, find hope in the resurrection. And that's what we see here. These women, going back to Elijah, I think at least, going back to Elijah and Elisha, that you can go read in the Kings there, where, where they were used by God to, to literally pray over these dead ones and they raised to life again. Now listen, that does not mean that we should go over to that cemetery or any other cemetery and pray for God to resurrect our dead loved ones or our dead friends. It is not what it means. This means that this was a unique time period that God had his hand upon Elijah and Elisha and he used them to perform this amazing miracle. And listen, the way they did it was through the power of God. They prayed and God showed up. And so as we think about this, we need to understand that we find hope in the resurrection. That death for a Christian is the doorway that leads us into eternity with God. And it goes on to say, that others were tortured. Would you say that with me? Tortured. Say it again. Tortured. One more time, please. Tortured. The commentators associate this word with the Maccabean period. That is the period in, in, in between the Old and New Testaments. They say that, they, they, they claim that, that Antiochus Epiphanes began to persecute a family where a mother and they, she had seven sons and they killed them all through torture. The commentators also associate this with, with this idea where they would torture in such a way, it'd be like you have a drum set or you have a big drum, you take a hammer and you begin to hammer that drum set and then, or the drum. Then they say that it's this circular like wheel that you lay flat and they would lay them on the wheel. They would stretch out their body like this and they would take a bat or a device and they would beat these ones until the sockets of their bones were out of place and their bones were broken to. So the next time you think you've experienced persecution for your faith, please reconsider and consider others who have gone through severe persecution. The interesting thing is this idea of not accepting deliverance. They didn't want salvation from this trial. This gives the idea, as the commentators have noted, if, you, if you're a student of the Bible, you realize that, that some people would associate this with the reality that when you are like Martin Luther of the Reformation, they, they, Martin Luther come before the, the, the body there and they said, hey, if you recant, we'll drop all charges. We'll deliver you. But if you don't recant, you will suffer the consequences. The idea is this, is that they brought them before this place where they would be tortured and beaten and bruised and battered and broken and, and all these different things. And, and they said, if you repent and stop preaching your message, we'll let you go. 
And so these prophets of old, they refused that. And said, I would rather be tortured in this life and die because my salvation and deliverance is found in the hope of the Messiah. And then verse 35, it reminds us of when being tortured. If and when you're ever being tortured, yes, we find hope in the resurrection, but we also find hope in salvation. Knowing that Jesus came to deliver us from our sins and that death is an opportunity where God can be glorified through that process. But then as I read this last part of verse 35, I think about that, that in the whole context here of going back to the Elijah and Elisha of the resurrection of those little boys. And then here about these ones being tortured. And it says that, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Sure, if you're there on trial and you're being sentenced or you're on the verge of being sentenced to death. Sure, it, it would be like a resurrection back to life to overcome that sentence. And they said, we believe in the day of resurrection. Remember Jesus in the gospel of John chapter 11. Speaking with Martha and Mary. They affirmed the power of the resurrection. I'm reminded that, that Jesus. He said I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me though he were dead he shall never die. Believest thou this? My brothers and sisters today, we, if and when we are being tortured, we need to find hope in the promise of heaven, the promise of salvation, and the promise of resurrection. Today, I don't know, maybe one day you will be tortured for your faith. You can find encouragement in verse 35 if you ever are. Those who have faith in God may be tortured for their faith. But secondly, I want to draw your attention to verse 36. What do the prophets teach us about faith and suffering? Well, remember, faith that suffers for God and tragedy will be rewarded by God with victory. But secondly, those who have faith in God may be imprisoned for their faith. In verse 36, we receive this reality that imprisonment is an option for those who call themselves Christians. You have to understand, in the early church, it was nothing like the American church. We are fully free to do whatever we really want to in America, to a certain extent. And that means that we can enjoy the opportunity to gather together today. But in other places of the world right now, and in the early church, they had to gather in secret. They had to gather privately. And as a result of their gatherings, they would suffer jail time. Persecution, by the way, separates the men from the boys. Persecution, by the way, separates the women from the little girls. It reminds us that when persecution comes knocking on our door, that it tells us who is a follower of Jesus and who is not. And so, if torture, if imprisonment were knocking on your door today, would you leave it all behind? If you would, I would advocate that you were never born again to begin with. But if you would embrace that it would demonstrate that God sovereignly saved you and that God is going to use you to glorify himself through that. 
But notice verse 36. It says, others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. As I read this part of the verse, I'm reminded that some will be in prison with mocking and derision. They will be ridiculed. They will be scoffed. They will be mocked. They will be made fun of. And, and it will all be so that they can throw them in jail. Now, time doesn't permit us tonight to, or this morning to, to go back into the Old Testament and look at some of these prophets who went through this. But there are many who suffered scoffing. Many of them did. I mean, just think of Joseph who went to jail. Just think of the other ones who, 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 who endured bonds and imprisonment and chains because of their faith. Mocking is the idea of, of making fun of somebody and scoffing them. But scourgings is the idea of what Jesus went through on the cross, before the cross. They got him. And, and if you ever get to go to Greece, you might go to Corinth and you will, will, will see the Bema seat. And there is this big pole, uh, pole-like thing, kind of a little column that they would wrap somebody in chains and they'd lay them there. And then they would scourge them. They would beat them and whip them in public. And these prophets, these people of old, they went through that. But then the verse goes on to remind us that some will be imprisoned with beatings and infliction. There, that word scourging. There might come a time when you're a beaten for your faith. I don't know. Maybe you go on a mission trip or become a missionary overseas. You go to another nation that's considered closed to Christianity. Right now, America is wide open, but it's not a guarantee that tomorrow it will be the same. And so the reality is, is that we have to prepare ourselves for the future. I remember what one of the professors in, my, in the Bible college I went to said. They said this. He said, tough decisions are never made in the heat of the battle. They're made in advance. If you're going to be a person of great spiritual, or excuse me, of great military conquest, you have to have a strategy and a game plan before you go into battle. And when we, before we go into life as a Christian, we need to understand that there may come times where we'll be mocked. There may come times we're beaten. There may come times we're imprisoned for our faith. And the verse goes on in verse 36, speaks about how, yea, moreover, some of them were, were going in bonds and chains and imprisonment. They went to jail. So some will be in prison with chains and incarceration. Hopefully you've never been to jail. But if you have, praise God, he delivered you from that. But could you imagine somebody going to jail for trying to share the cure of cancer with somebody? Let's say you have the cure of cancer and somebody came and said, hey, you have the cure of cancer. Sorry, you can't share the cure of cancer with anybody. We're going to throw you in jail. I mean, how crazy would that be? That would be ridiculous. But now imagine, you have the cure for this disease we call sin. And somebody has the audacity. Somebody is so full of pride that they silence your message, throw you in jail, and destroy the key. Well, that's what these prophets went through. That's what these ones, some of them in Hebrews chapter 11, encountered. And I, uh, I want to just tell you, Paul writes in Timothy, and says, Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There comes a time. There's levels of persecution. There's levels of suffering. And obviously what we're seeing today in this text is more of an extreme version. And so here in America, we're going to have what's called a lower level of persecution or suffering. But we're all going to experience some level of it, some way, shape, or form. So we got to prepare ourselves now. Faith that suffers for God in tragedy will be rewarded by God with victory. We know that the trials and tragedies we experience now will only be rewarded in the afterlife with great victory and riches that we can lay before the feet of our Jesus, our Savior Jesus Christ. 
Thirdly today, what do the prophets teach us about faith and suffering? Well, so far we've discovered that, that, that they teach us about how we might be tortured for our faith. They teach us about how we might be imprisoned for our faith. But they, thirdly, teach us from verse 37 and verse 38. Those who have faith in God may be executed for their faith. Those who have faith in God may be executed for their faith. I've shared the story of William Tyndale with you before, so I won't go into major detail. But William Tyndale is the reason why we, essentially, the reason why we have an English Bible today. Uh, about 85 to 90 percent of the work of William Tyndale is, is manifested in the, the King James Bible that you might have right there in the pew. And you, we wouldn't have an English Bible without his work. But he lived in the 1500s when it was taboo to translate the Bible. God forbid somebody translate the Bible into English so that the common person could understand. And so literally the, the last remaining season of Tyndale's life, he's running from this person and running from that person. He's going in hiding because he's, he's trying to translate the Bible into English. It was his one mission that God gave him. And when he was finally caught, they strangled him, burned his body, and blew up the ashes. As I think about this concept of execution and martyrdom, I'm reminded that whenever Satan tries to extinguish God's word, his efforts always fail. Every single time. And we see that even in the course of biblical history. Verse 37, it says they were stoned. Not they were high, okay? Don't read 21st century English into this text. If you ever go to Israel, you, you realize that it's a very rocky country and stones are everywhere. And so in the Old Testament biblical times, one of the ways they practiced capital punishment, we're not getting into that today, but it's one of the ways they did it, is that they picked up stones and they stoned each other. And my thought is, is like, man, how many, how many stones are you going to take before I'm dead? How many? How many do I have to be hit by? Well, I mean, it could just be one, and it could be 50. You never know. They may not have good aim. I don't know. But here it says that they were stoned. So these prophets of old, these servants of old, they literally took rocks, and they threw it at them. And I'm not talking about a little pebble. We're talking about something that can cause major damage to one's physical body. And so it is in this text that we read, some will be executed by being martyred to death. Literally, they will be killed. We are told that Zechariah was stoned to death, the prophet Zechariah. Then it says that they were sawn asunder. Now, if you've ever done any study of the Bible, at least I can't find a passage in the Old Testament where anybody was sawn in two. It's not there. So what, what is the writer of Hebrews referring to here? Well, I believe he's referring to what is called Jewish and Christian tradition. Do you know what a saw is, by the way? I mean, just think of a hand saw. Or you think of a, a, a motorized saw that you would cut wood with. Could you imagine? Just, just imagine. I know this is a, a unique sermon today, so I get it. But it's in the Bible. They were sawn in two. So imagine taking a saw and cutting somebody else in half. Imagine you're sitting on the table and they take a hand saw and they go like this. One swipe at a time. How painful would that be? Be horrendous. 
Jewish tradition tells us that the prophet Isaiah, as he's out preaching and proclaiming the message about the Messiah, he's preaching. He says, hey, Israel, you better get right or the Assyrians are going to come get you. He says, hey, Israel, you better get right or Babylon's going to come get you. Hey, Israel, you need to get right with God. Judgment day's coming. And they don't get right with God. And, and we are told that underneath Manasseh's reign, Manasseh, the king of the people of God, was fed up with the prophet's message and commanded for him to be cut in two. Now that's not in the Bible. It's Jewish tradition. And I think that church history does support that. So I think that he's referring to Isaiah here in verse 37. They were also tempted. They were slain with the sword. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were, were stabbed. Some of them were killed through these different means. They experienced martyrdom. They died for their belief and they were asked to recant and they refused to recant. And so therefore, they died. But then there's other ways to be martyred too than just those types of deaths. The last part of verse 37 reminds us that you can actually be starved to death and it is a way of somebody martyring you in a sense. I just saw a video the other day of, of, of just a little old boy, most likely overseas. He was literally skin and bones. Literally skin and bones. Like worse than a concentration camp kind of starving. And I just can't imagine ever missing a meal. I mean, we live in America. For a few dollars, we can go to Taco Bell and get us a nice meal. Well, I mean, I know nice might be different to some of you, but you, could, you, you won't starve in America for sure. In fact, you could just be homeless and stand on the side of the street corner and say, I need some money and food. And people will give you money and food by the, the pounds. But here in the text, it says that they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. And by the way, here's another passage that reminds us that like Elijah and John the Baptist, they, they weren't walking around with like $2,000 sneakers on. They weren't wearing like a $5,000 t-shirt. They were literally, in fact, I would be an advocate that most churches in America would refuse Elijah and John the Baptist from preaching in the pulpits just by their appearance and their dress. And here it reminds us that some of these prophets here, they dressed with very poor attires. It says they were destitute, they were poor, they were hungry, they were left as homeless men and women on the streets to beg food. They were afflicted and tormented. Here in this passage, we're reminded that some will be executed just by starvation, by being starved to death. And they were. They had to, to, to eat from the mountains and the plants that they could find. But then verse 38, our final verse in this text, gives us a little parenthetical thought with the parentheses here. Do you see that? Verse 38. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. I'm like, what? What? What, what does this mean? Well, keep in mind, I think... This verse, verse 38, is reminding us that yes, some of them in verse 37 were martyred to death, killed in all these fashions. Some of them were starved to death, left destitute, homeless people, kicked out of their homes. But then here in verse 38, it is a reminder that they were exiled into the mountains and the fields there to live and remain, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar was judged by God and sent to live in the fields like an animal. In the same way, these high, lofty uh, rulers and people came and, and persecuted these believers in the Messiah in such a way they kicked them out of their homes and exiled them out of society and said, go up and live in the mountains and live there. 
And here it says of the world of whom the world was not worthy. In other words, that these people who had the very hand of God on God set them aside in a holy fashion to share the Messiah's message about hope coming in Jesus. And there he says here, I believe that, that, that the people of that generation did not even deserve those prophets. And today, when we think about these horrific acts that are done in Israel. This was not planned. This was all, I didn't know all this was going to take place here recently. But when we think about the ones that are overseas right now doing all these horrific deeds and actions to little kids, little babies, and women. People like that, in a sense, like the ones back in the days of the writer of Hebrews, don't necessarily deserve some that do good. But in God's gracious mercy, he allows those prophets, those Christians like you and me, to come on the scene to point people to Jesus. So I wonder, how are we doing in sharing our faith? They were wandering in deserts. They were wandering in mountains. They were in dens. They were in caves all over. the. In other words, they were kicked out of society, kicked out of their homes, and they had to find a place where they could live. Now, if you've ever been to Southern California, I don't know, it's probably not your favorite place to go. I get it. I understand. But if you ever go there, you can go to a place like Hollywood, and you'll find that the homeless people just take over parking lots and set up their tent. Now, listen, I'm not joking. I could park illegally, and my car will be gone an hour, Right? But if I put a tent up on the sidewalk, I can live there for eternity. I don't understand the mentality over there in certain areas. But here we see that, that, that just like these officials would tow my car away, they would tow the people's lives out of their culture and society. Exile them. Faith that suffers for God in tragedy will be rewarded by God with victory. Earlier, I share with you a Jim Elliot quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. But the story of Jim Elliot would not be final without telling the story of Elizabeth Elliot. You got to understand Jim and Elizabeth, they did meet when they were studying at Wheaton College up in Illinois, but they did not get married until after the, the fact. And, and so they come together, they serve God together, they have a child and they're there li <coughs> living in Ecuador region sharing the gospel with these Akua Indians. And, and the men go into the scene and there they're speared to death. <clears throat> but the story of God's amazing grace is found in the women and especially a woman like Elizabeth Elliot. She not only forgives those Indians and savages, she stays and shares Jesus and the gospel with those people. Now, if that's not God's amazing grace in action, I don't know what is. And today, as we think about the horrific deeds going on in Israel, what greater testimony for us to go to these, these terrorist groups and to say, hey, you've done these acts. They've been, they're evil in the sight of God, but God wants to forgive you. That's literally what Elizabeth Elliot did to those people who were known as savages in the mid-1900s. And the amazing part of the story is, is perhaps if, if Jim Elliot and their families after their death, they would have just left and packed up their bags and never came back to Ecuador, maybe those people would have never come to faith in Christ. But what took place is that those, those men and those people who speared them to death came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
One of them said in a testimony that with my hands and my spear, I killed 12, 12 people. And he said something to the effect that I have experienced God's forgiveness and I no longer desire to do those deeds anymore. That is the grace of God. That is the power of God. And I close with this Elizabeth Elliot quote to remind us that our life is not just our life to live. There's nothing worth living for unless it's worth dying for. So here in this passage in verse 35 to verse 38, we are reminded of the trial of faith through suffering and that one day you might experience Faith that suffers for God in tragedy will be rewarded by God with victory. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.